So, Lord, our, our heartbeat today is, is to learn about this Holy Spirit, who he is and what he does. We don't want to go beyond what this text says, and we don't want to stop short of it either. Help us to press into this. I pray especially for that person here who's like, uh, talking about this makes me a little uncomfortable, and it's unusual language, and um, I don't really know what to make of it. And I just pray that you would come and help us be reasonable and scriptural and yet also be in a position where we are moved by how great and strong you are. So help all that come to be, not because of what I say, but because of who you are and your Holy Spirit here with us, teaching us, helping us, directing us. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, yeah, so if you weren't here last week, you're, you, we picked this up, and there's this uh, implication or actually accusation that the people are drunk. And so we've got to figure out, well, what's, where, where's that coming from so that we're all on the same page, okay? So the, the, the disciples had been gathered in this upper room place, and they had been studying the scriptures and really trying to, to move through and filter through the scriptures so they understood what had happened with Jesus why he died, why he rose again, and what exactly they should expect next, right? So remember, Jesus ascends into heaven, and an angel comes and says, okay, well, you know, go back to Jerusalem and wait for the coming of the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about that in just a minute, but uh, so that's what what happened last week. They were in this upper room, and this, this sound like a mighty rushing wind comes and what's happening is right after that sound comes, two things happen. Remember, there was like a, a physical thing with the, the, the tongues of fire that kind of rests on them. But there was also this mighty rushing wind where the people around were then able to understand what the apostles were saying. Here these guys were. They were fishermen. They were just common people. And yet when they spoke, people could understand what they were saying in their own languages. Remember this, that this all happened on the day of Pentecost. And to try to figure out what that means is really important, but I want to try to uh, make it simple. Uh, Pentecost means 50th. And uh, the idea is that it's, it's been 50 days since the Passover. So it's a feast of weeks. So in your mind, if you can hear weeks, feast of weeks is uh, 7 times 7 is 49. That's weeks. And then the next day after that is this day. And uh, in the Older Testament, you can look in Ezekiel, uh, excuse, excuse me, Exodus, if you want to see more information about it. But it uh, basically was called the, the Feast of the First Fruits. So 50 days after Passover, they have now been out in the fields and they've gotten all this produce. It's amazing how much they have harvested. They've got tons of stuff and they bring the first tenth of that produce they bring the first tenth of the harvest into the house of the Lord to say, we know we've got way more than enough back home, Lord. Wow, thanks for all that you've done for us. And there's this, this amazing celebration on the 50th day after Passover to say, Lord, thank you for the harvest. You've given us more than we uh, deserve, and, and we have plenty for this next season of our life. Interestingly, we learned last week that this Feast of Weeks, 50 days after the, the Passover, was one of only three times during the year when all of the men of Israel were required to come to Jerusalem. So uh, we've got two things happening here on this day of Pentecost. Number one, symbolically, 
it's the day of the first fruits. And so it is like a statement of saying, we have more than enough from the Lord. And that's when the Spirit comes. By the way, we're going to learn that as we go. When we have the Spirit of God, we have more than enough from Him. Right? So symbolically, it's the day of Pentecost. But also practically, we learned last week, all these people were in Jerusalem. Tons of people. And what was going to happen was they were going to hear of the mighty works of God and they were going to go back to their hometowns, and they were going to talk about the mighty works of God and who Jesus is and what he's done. And so uh, having this pouring out of the Spirit on the day of Pentecost is both symbolic and it's practical and strong. So that's, all of that is background. If you were here last week, you learned all of that last week. But we're ready to understand now uh, the response from the crowds here in verse 14. So remember... The, the spirit comes, there's a loud rushing wind, and it, was, it must have been evident outside the house. Because all of these people hanging out in Jerusalem were like, well, what's going on over here? There was a shaking, there was a moving, and now they were coming up to Peter and the apostles, and they were saying, hey, what's the, what's the big idea here, guys? What's going on? Why all, the, why all the hubbub? Bub? What's a lot going on here? And so Peter is the one who... Who stands up. And again, in verse 13, they must be drunk. And in verse 14, Peter says, we're not drunk. It's 9 a.m. Trust me, we ain't drunk. Okay? So here we have in Peter, uh, excuse me, Peter responding, Acts chapter 2, verse 14, Peter standing with the 11. Now, first things I I want us to see is that uh, we're, uh, and and this is so you can kind of travel along with us, that in these last days, that this pouring out of the Holy Spirit is the fulfillment of of a promise that we have from God. God has promised that the Holy Spirit will come, okay? We're going to show you that in just a minute, but first things first, you've got to see this Peter guy. Remember who he was uh, 50 days ago? Uh, remember it was night, and they came to arrest Jesus, and Peter was the one that freaked out and left? In fact, all of the apostles, all, all the disciples left in terror, so they were timid, They were afraid to be identified publicly with Jesus. Remember the little girl at the fire the night of Jesus' arrest? And she says, hey, man, weren't you with Jesus? Weren't you one of those guys? And remember, he, in like growing, you know, opposition, was denying that he knew Jesus at all. Have you ever been there? I have. In our culture today, we don't have to come out and say, I don't know Jesus. We can just refuse to take an opportunity to make a statement to the people around us of who he is and how strong he is and what he's done in our life. And I think sometimes for me, that's where I fall short. I don't take the opportunity that the Lord puts in my lap sometimes to announce, yeah, Jesus is strong. I believe him. I trust him. He's the one. And so you don't have to be by a fire with a little girl to deny Jesus. You can just be in a privileged position of knowing Jesus as Lord and Savior and not talk about it, right? And so that's who Peter was, a privileged position guy who wasn't talking about who Jesus was, who Jesus is, and how strong he is in his life. But now he spent these last 50 days. Jesus has risen from the dead. He's appeared to him. He's taught him from the Old Testament. Remember when Jesus sees these guys on the road to Emmaus? He's talking all about, Old Testament was talking about me. Old Testament was showing me I'm the Savior. I'm the, the Messiah. The only promised one, it, it's me. 
all of the Old Testament was pointing to me. And Peter was obviously in on those Bible studies, maybe leading some of those Bible studies, and we're going to see that in just a moment. But anyway, he, the, the point I want you to see is that he was timid, and he was fumbling opportunities, and he was refusing to speak up, and he was terrified to identify himself publicly with Jesus. But here in Acts chapter 2, verse 14, oh man, these are great words. But Peter, standing with the eleven. We've already learned that when they were all in one accord, the power of the Holy Spirit flows. And here they were, standing in one accord, almost as if to say, listen, all of you folks here, who's in the crowd? Uh, Pharisees. People that two months ago put Jesus to death. They're there. They're still taking names. They're still checking things off. And here, Peter, who was terrified to publicly identify, says, look, uh, we're all standing here. You want to take the names of all of us? Because all 11 of us are standing in lockstep, lock arm, announcing who Jesus is so that there will be no mistake what God has done here in your midst, in our midst. Get this strongly, friends. We are standing to proclaim Jesus. Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you. Give ear to my words. Whereas he was hiding in the dark from the little girl of two months ago, now he was saying, hey, everybody, listen up. It's time for you to hear who this Jesus is and what he's done. These people are not drunk as you you suppose since it's only the third hour of the day. That literally is 9 a.m. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. So he's about to explain to them what they saw with this mighty rushing wind and this coming of the Spirit and this hearing in your own language the mighty works of God. He wants them to really understand what they saw there. And Peter stands up, and he quotes from Joel chapter 2. And note this, he knows that Joel chapter 2 is about this coming of the Spirit. He he knows, guys, I think sometimes we think, uh, well, in the Old Testament, the, the Holy Spirit is nowhere to be found, don't know where he is, don't know what he's doing. But in the New Testament, that's when the Holy Spirit comes. And can I just tell you, that's not really an accurate understanding the Holy Spirit is strong and operating throughout all of the Older Testament. You can see him together in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 when, when God is reasoning amongst the Trinity saying, let us make man in our image. You can see it in First uh, Samuel where the Holy Spirit comes on Saul and then leaves Saul. And in fact, we're going to see David who is a prophet of the Lord. In a minute, we're going to see him uh, quote and, uh, and teach the, older, the, older, the folks of the Old Testament that they, they should know that, that Jesus is going to come. And he had the Holy Spirit on him. In 1 Samuel 16, it's a clear statement that the Holy Spirit came on David and stayed with him all of his life. And then we have the amazing statement of Jesus when Nicodemus comes to him and says, well, you know, what, what should we, how do we enter into a relationship with God? And Jesus says, oh, you you should know that. Aren't you a teacher of the law? 
the, the very basic thing you should understand is that if anyone comes into saving relationship with God, he must be born again. And we learned last week that the word he uses in John chapter 3 is the wind. It's the same. The spirit blows where he will. Jesus is saying, you teacher of the law should know that if anyone's coming into a saving faith, saving relationship with Jesus, with God, it's going to be only through the power of the Holy Spirit blowing on them or that is uh, 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 working in them. So the, the movement or the, the activity of the Holy Spirit has always been happening since the beginning of time. But what happened here in the day of Pentecost is, and we look at verse 17 now, and in this last days it shall be, as God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. So whereas before it was more like a trickle, now it's going to be more like the fire hydrant. Before, it was in, in smaller ways or less noticeable ways, if you will, not smaller, but less noticeable ways. Now it's going to be in excessively, abundantly ways that, ways that everyone will see. And so this pouring out is a, a statement about how strong it's going to be when God sends his spirit. And God has now sent his spirit. Okay, so uh, again, now in verse 17, and we can look at Joel chapter 2. It's up on the screen. If you don't have your Bibles open, that's okay. And in the last days, it shall be, God declares that, and let's stop there. In the last days. You know that you are living in the last days. Marked by the coming of Jesus at the beginning marked again by the second coming of Jesus at the end. You live in the last days. These are them. I think sometimes we think the last days are going to be seven years or they're going to be after some kind of a thousand years or in the midst of some kind of a thousand year thing. And, and we can look at, at all of the various prophecies and scriptures about timing. This, uh, it, it, we're not necessarily talking about how long or the timing. We're talking about an event that has now happened. The, the, the coming of Jesus is the marker of the last days. So the, the countdown is on for the end of the last days. And I know if you're like me, you're like, okay, where are we? in those days. I don't know. I don't know. I, nobody knows. Let me just say that, too. It's not as if we do a little more studying, and if we do a little more digging, and we do a little more mathematics, we can figure this out. We can't figure it out, and God wants it that way. Here's what we know, and here's what God wants us to know. We're in the last days. We, the, the Holy Spirit living and working in us, is God's plan to reach the nations so that they will hear and know that Jesus did mighty works and that he's the only mighty one from God. He's the Messiah. He is unique. His identity is certain. And in these last days, God has sent his Holy Spirit to empower us, according to Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, to empower us to be his witnesses. We've seen him work. We know he's strong. And so what God is doing in these last days is he has made you and me his witnesses with power. That's what your life and my life should be about. The main thing your life and my life should be about is being a powerful witness to the nations of the identity the unique identity of Jesus Christ alone as the only one from God 
who can save. He's the only one. And so that's what the last days are. We're living in them. The countdown is on. God doesn't have another plan by which he's going to somehow reach the nations. It's, it's the Holy Spirit in you and me and us being faithful to him in this age, right? Now, there, there's a future to come, and there's a lot of activities that are going to come, and the Holy Spirit's going to come again with power. We believe that, but God has promised to send his Holy Spirit, and in essence, these verses are the uh, statement uh, interpreting the fact that he has sent that, the Holy Spirit. The pouring out here in verse 17, this is Peter's answer to skeptics. What's going on here? Well, God's pouring out his spirit. We should have expected it. If we would have read Joel chapter 2, we would have expected him to send the spirit. And again, up on the screen, we see it shall come to pass afterward. In the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Can I just stop there? That's an amazing statement profound statement when Peter stands up on the day of Pentecost, a Jewish Jewish celebration in Jerusalem, and all of these Jewish people are gathered to him, and the crowds are incredible, and he says, in the last days, what you've just experienced, God's going to pour out his spirit on all flesh, and every Jewish ear knew all flesh meant Jew and Gentile. They all knew, oh man, this is, a, this is a worldwide thing here. This is bigger than Jewish. This is bigger than Israel. This is bigger than Pentecost. This is the moment when God sends his Holy Spirit to the nations, to all of the people around us. And in fact, if you look at the extent here, I think sometimes I get hung up on the word in verse 17, prophesy. And you see in the next phrase there, if you have your Bible open, visions and dreams. Okay, those aren't the words that we should get hung up on in terms of Peter explaining what's going on here. We go back up, we see we, he will pour out his spirit on all flesh. Here's the words that are operative. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. This is not a, a gender thing. He doesn't prefer male over female. This is a, a universal thing. God's sending his spirit on men and women without distinction. Your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams. And we say, well, what about these visions and dreams? And it's it's amazing to think and hear about what those dreams and visions could be. But the point of this passage is not the visions and dreams. It's young men and old men. It doesn't matter whether you're young or old. The Spirit of God is going to come on all. And then it says here, uh, even on your male servants and female servants, and that's a direct... uh, Uh, inference to people who are poor. And also, if you think about who is going to be the Jewish servant in the house uh, at that time, it was not going to be Jewish people. It was going to be the Gentile. The Gentile servant is going to have the Holy Spirit and that Gentile servant just as much as the the Jewish master, if you will, at least in these these references, is going to have the Holy Spirit and participate. Now, again, the word prophesying there, I just want you to get a sense of that. It doesn't just mean randomly predict the future. What Peter is doing here is prophesying. He's taking an Old Testament reference, Joel chapter 2, and he's saying this prophecy has come true, and he makes it clear that it's come true in their in their uh, seeing, and their experience in Jerusalem that day. 
prophesied this. So prophesied doesn't mean, okay, I think in the future. Uh, do you, got, you guys buy lottery tickets? Did you buy some lottery tickets? Because I'm going to let you know the winning number is. I'm going to let you know how the Milwaukee Brewers are going to win the World Series in 2021. I don't think it's going to be this year, guys. But 2020, 2021, I'm going to let you know. That's not it. Prophecy is not about predicting the future. It is about showing people how the Word of God points to the Son of God with power. And so that's what old and young will be doing. And they let the Scripture interpret their experience as Peter gets up and says, you, you had an amazing experience, and you've seen and heard rushing winds and seen and heard the gospel in your own language. Let's go back to Joel chapter 2, and look, we should have expected this to happen. The Spirit has come. And we could talk about how Jesus himself, in verse 30, uh, I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. You know that just two months earlier, the sun was turned to darkness as Jesus was crucified. We know that just 30 years prior to that, in the, sky, in the skies, there was a sign of the birth of Messiah, and people came from thousands of miles away to investigate what, the, 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 what was displayed in the skies. And so here he is, these last days, he's pouring out the Spirit on all flesh. And the result of this outpouring of the Spirit is that every believer can know God. Look at verse 21. And it shall come to pass that everyone, another statement to the nations, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The name of the Lord there is not just a reference of saying, okay, if, if, you, can just, if you can just get it out, the name of Jesus, if you can just say Jesus, you're going to be saved. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about in your heart and mind, if you can get your brain wrapped around this exclusive living God who is the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, if you can get your, your, your arms wrapped around his character and his reputation and his promises from his word and the doctrine that teaches us about his son, Jesus Christ, and his exclusive character and his personal qualities, if you cry out with everything in you and ask that God to save you, he will save you. Everyone who cries out to that living God will be saved, according to verse 21. This is profound stuff. And so we see that God has promised to send the Holy Spirit. And Peter is explaining to everybody, that's what you've seen today. He sent his Holy Spirit. He has poured it out. Here's a question as we close this part of the, the message. Why all the hubbub? God could have quietly begun a work of the Spirit behind the scenes and just sort of trickled out, right? But he had promised in Joel chapter 2 that there was going to be this outpouring. And here is the outpouring. Think about, think about the Older Testament with the Holy Spirit operating. God was saving people, but at some point Jesus had to come and physically save us. And at some point the Holy Spirit had to come and make himself available to all those who uh, you know, belong to the Lord. And that's what's happening here is God is giving a public display of this. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. What we see in these last days of pouring out of the Spirit is the expression of God's power. And these last 14 verses, uh, th there's like a, a two-part. The first several verses talk about the result in my heart as a result of God's power. And the second part talk about the confidence that is growing in me. But I want, you, I want to show you 
what these verses are about before we jump in to this part of the message. Acts chapter 2, verse 22. He's explaining the, the, the movement and the work of the Holy Spirit. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works. Let's just stop there. The ministry of the Spirit is to point to the person of Jesus. It's always that way, and it'll never be other than that. Don't ever think that the Holy Spirit is trying to show acts of power to draw attention to the fact that he can do it. That's why when I ask uh, the Holy Spirit, Lord, okay, Lord, would you just make a car appear here for me now? And then I wait. And he doesn't do it, and I, and I could get upset. I thought if I asked, he would do it. Well, the Holy Spirit does not flex. Did you ever do that in the morning? I, I know, I see some of you do that in the morning. You know, you're getting ready for the day, and you're just like, you know, you've just done your workout or something like that, you're shaving, and you're like, okay, hold on a second. I'm looking in the mirror. All right, let's just see how I'm looking here. Well, that is not good. That is not a good look, right? But, but this idea of just like kind of checking yourself out, am I strong enough? Am I, am I better than I was? Am I looking better than I looked yesterday? These kinds of things. You don't have to admit it, but I know who you are. The Holy Spirit does not flex. The Holy Spirit, every time he moves and operates, he is pointing with his strength that he knows he has, he's pointing back to who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. John chapter 15, verse 26, Jesus says, uh, the Holy Spirit is our helper, and when he comes, you know what he's going to do? Bear witness to Jesus. He's going to teach everybody about who Jesus is. He's not ever going to teach you about the things that he can do or the things that he'll do. He's always going to point back to the work that Jesus has accomplished, according to Jesus' own words. John chapter 16, verse 14, the Holy Spirit takes what belongs to Jesus, Jesus and declares it to us. And by the way, what we just studied so far today is a great example of that. I bet two months ago, Peter, in our story, Peter had no idea that Joel chapter 2 was about to be fulfilled in Jerusalem. So he's studying and he's praying, and then it happens. That concept, the, the, the truth that the Holy Spirit was going to come with power that belongs to Jesus he knew that he was going to send the Holy Spirit. He knew when he was going to send the Holy Spirit. He knew he was going to come with power, but Peter didn't. But when it happened, the thing that belonged to Jesus became something that, that Peter could talk about and say, well, it's in the Old Testament. We should have been expecting this. And so this thing that belonged to Jesus is now made public, and uh, that's what the Holy Spirit does. It belonged to Jesus, and now it's public. And now it's helpful for us to see that. And so, when, again, when somebody stands up and, and does some kind of prophesying, it's going to be, it needs to be tied to the Word of God. John 16, 14, the Holy Spirit takes what belongs to Jesus and he declares it to us. Guys, uh, as we look at the, the verses 22 down through, through uh, uh, 28, he, he is now proclaiming this Jesus of Nazareth, verse 22. Look at verse 23. This Jesus, he says, is delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Look at verse 32. This Jesus God raised up 
and of that we are all witnesses. Look at verse 36. Let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus. And so he is, he is really helping everybody see how important it is to keep Jesus as the center, especially when the Holy Spirit comes and operates. And so here he's saying that, that uh, one of the results of the Holy Spirit coming should be gladness for every human heart. Verse 23, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. So we can take great delight, friends, in knowing that this Jesus came by the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. I think sometimes we're, we think that the death of Jesus was some kind of accident. Jesus made something good from something bad. Or God made something good from something bad. And it, it was bad, but can I just remind you? It was the definite plan of God that Jesus would die for your sins and mine. When you hear the word foreknowledge, do not let yourself think that foreknowledge means God had advanced warning. God anticipated what we could. No, the word foreknowledge there, the definite plan and the foreknowledge of God delivered Jesus up to go to the cross for you. His foreknowledge is operating. It is an active word. It made it happen that Jesus would die in your place. And so the the death of Jesus was not some accidental thing that took place in history that God was out of, out of control somehow or for, for a moment Satan won somehow. It was purposeful that God sent Jesus to the cross because he loves you so much. God raised him up, listen to this, verse 24, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for Jesus to be held by death. Impossible. As Jesus went and died in your place, there was no chance whatsoever that he was going to stay in the grave. And God did that for you, out of love for you. And so this, his identity was not secret, and this death was no accident. What they did made them guilty. Even though he was delivered up by the plan of God, this Jesus delivered up according to the, the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, but you... Jewish friends, you crucified and killed him. And so you're guilty, and I'm guilty with them. And then we see in verse 24, his resurrection, friends, it's no hoax. Jesus didn't swoon or pass out. Jesus didn't momentarily have a a coma-like experience. Jesus died, and God, through the power of who he is, raised him up the third day according to the promise of Scripture. He did this work. It is profound, and it means that we don't have a message to the the nations. Come to religion. Come to morality. Try a little harder. Appeal to some sense of some God out there for the salvation of your souls. We have one Jesus, and he is the only place anyone on the face of the planet can turn for the forgiveness of sins. There's not another option. God delivered him over to death, but he raised him up, and he could not stay in the grave. This was God's definite plan. We learned in Job chapter 42, verse 1, no purpose of God can be thwarted. 
We learned there that when God sets out to accomplish something, makes a definite plan, it gets done. And here we see Jesus has done it. Verse 25, for David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me. And we see the passage coming up where this is quoted in reference to Psalm 16. And can I just help you understand David for a minute? Can I remind you some things about David? Hey, if you've got a uh, crazy family, David, you should identify with David. Remember, uh, David's brothers publicly mocked and humiliated him when he went to the battlefield. They, they made him feel, even though he was small at the time, they made him feel even smaller. And if you've got a family situation where your brothers or your dad or your mom had treated you badly and humiliated you every chance they got, David knows what that's like. Later in his life, David had to wait and wait and wait for the fulfillment of God's promise for him to be king. He had opportunities all the time to take matters into his own hands. Wait. And if you find yourself today waiting for God to fulfill some promise that you feel like he should have fulfilled a long time ago, David knows just how you feel. And maybe you're in a situation where you yourself have messed up your own family. You don't know exactly what the percentage is, but you do know this, that you can see your tendency to sin in the lives of your children or your grandchildren, and you can't do anything to affect, to change that. You can look at David's life in 2 Samuel chapter 11 where he sinned sexually and God made it publicly known to the nations and then the result was in his own kids. Time after time, he saw his own kids walking away. He saw his own kids struggling. Maybe you're in a situation where your dream for your life, you feel like it is, and by the way, David's dream for his life to build the temple of God and to make it beautiful. He, he had the opportunity. He had the, the work power. He had the money. He, had, he gained the resources. And God said, no, David, your dream for your life, which seems great to you and is a great dream, I am not letting you fulfill that dream. And maybe God has you in a position. It's not that it's going to be put off. It's not that it's going to be someday. It's that there is no way for the dream that you have for your life to come true now. And David writes, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. In the midst of David being that guy, I will not be shaken. Can I even be happy? Well, David says in verse 9, Therefore, because the Lord is ever before me while my life fell apart, my heart is glad. It doesn't say try to look on the bright side. It doesn't say choose joy, which is this other emotion outside of yourself based on the fact that God is sovereign. It says this, because the Lord is before you, your heart, that is the internal mechanism, the internal computer programming, the the whole way of thinking when nobody's looking, I will be glad because the Lord is ever before me. Will you? 
Hey, listen, that's the ministry of the Holy Spirit in your life. That's what we're learning here. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is that David could be glad when his life was characterized as we just characterized it. And you can too. Because that's the ministry of the Spirit. It's what he's doing. Now, in particular, as we get back to Acts chapter 2, David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he's at my right hand, and that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad. And you say, John, uh, man, that, that word glad there, I mean, give it a rest. I mean, he barely mentions it in passing. But, okay. My tongue rejoiced. Okay? That is, while my life had fallen apart, yet the Lord was before me, the stuff that I talked about was always joyful. And it was about the strong person and work of Jesus Christ. It was about who he is and what he's done. My flesh also, my flesh, my body, what's going to be true about my body? Dwell in hope. It makes its home in a place that is confident about the future. You will die one day, and I will die one day, and I do not make light of death. But this I say, those who have the Holy Spirit ministering to them dwell they make their house in hope. A confident that the future is according to the word of God and that he will bring you to that place according to his word. He's going to do that work. And now we see that in verse 27 of Acts chapter 2, he begins, David begins talking about Jesus. Okay? For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruptions. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness. He's back to gladness with your presence. And so the Holy Spirit ministers the person of Jesus and his presence to us that we can be glad even when life is not easy or life is not uh, satisfying itself. Yet Jesus himself will be satisfying. And then we see in verses 29 through 36 the conclusion of this message. And, and it brings us to this point where we will grow in confidence. You think that the, the trouble or the news or the problems of this world or your situation or your family's situation or your inability to forgive or my inability to work things out, maybe as I get older, I'm going to start doubting more and more that Jesus is really the one from God or that he really rose the third day. And verses 29 down through 36 exist to tell you that, uh-uh, no. If the Holy Spirit is at work in your life, you and I will grow in our confidence that it is only Jesus who was raised from the dead. He's the only one we can turn to. You say, why do you say confidence? Look at verse 29. Brothers, I may say this to you, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, Look down at verse 36. He begins this part of the sermon with the word confidence, and he ends it with this. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain who Jesus is. Concrete. It's, it's, a, it's a rock dropped. It's a fact. And so the whole point of 29 through 36 is certainty and confidence that Jesus is the one and the only one who is raised from the dead. How can you be so sure about these things, Peter? Peter would say, yeah, I am sure about these things. Consider all of this certainty language in the sermon. Peter says, let this be known to you from Joel. 
the clarity of the prophet Joel that he was going to send the Spirit, the attesting of miraculous works of Jesus while he was with us, and that God did through him, the testimonies of our own heart that truly believed, the definite plan that God worked and prophesied, the clear testimony of our father David, who, though he is now dead, prophesied that there would be one who would sit on his throne forever, and he was obviously talking about Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. We could go on and on about why we're certain, why we're certain. As we look at the end of the sermon, we see it in verse uh, 34, for David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. So in other words, Jesus did ascend to heaven, and David didn't. And verse 36, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus, whom you crucified. And Peter is bold as he stands with the 11 and says, this, this calls, this cries out to you to respond. And they say, well, what should we do? What should we do with this information? You have to come back next week. We're at the end. I'll give you a quick answer. Repent. Turn in your way of thinking to the Lord's way of thinking. We'll learn more about that next week. But here, let me give you a couple applications from this message. What should I do? What should I expect from the Holy Spirit? What should the Holy Spirit do as he is acting, not on me, but on us? Note that there's a corporate working of the Holy Spirit on us, okay? Specifically with regard to this pouring out of the Spirit, understand that you live, you live in the last days. What you do with your time and your energy and your words and your money needs to be last days focused. We are on it, friends. We are required to understand that it is an urgent moment and the sand is running out of the bottom of the hourglass and this world needs you and me to testify of Jesus Christ with power and unashamedly and even if you have blown it in your life today is a new day and a new opportunity to walk in the spirit and do you know that getting focused on who Jesus is is going to help you so much to stop being focused on who you are and your stuff and what you're going through as God gives you a purpose for your life to uh, accomplish the glory of his plan for the nations, that they would know him. This is the last days, and time is running out. You have power as you are the very witness for Jesus Christ. Number two, you need to be happy. I don't, I don't care what hard, horrible, difficult, strange circumstances you or I find myself in. If the Holy Spirit is operating in your life, Christ should be monthly and weekly and daily and hourly and minute by minute, Christ should be ever before you. And that should produce an ability in your heart to be happy. Because your future is settled. It's certain. What if no dream of mine ever comes true? What if the relationship doesn't come back together? What? Okay, yet Christ is ever before me. And finally, a growing confidence. As people ask you questions and as people 
poke holes in your argument and as people doubt that Christ could really be the one, the more people question it, the more you go back to the word and the more you study it out and you turn to Joel chapter 2 and you turn to Psalm 23 and you, you turn to the Newer Testament and you see that this Jesus is the only one who raised from the dead. He's the only hope we have from God. He is the one we place all of our confidence in and the longer we follow after him, the more we know it's him and it's no one else. No one else can do it, my friend. And that is exactly what God has called you to when he ministers to you by his Holy Spirit, to power, to happiness, to confidence as we walk with him. Stand with me. Let's be dismissed. Father, help us with this, to be faithful to you. We are your disciples, and that means something. It means that we are required to Walk in the Spirit. We're not surprised by the way the Spirit came. We knew, we now know looking back, we know that you have future promises to keep in terms of the power of your Spirit, and we can't wait for that to happen. We are not unsettled by bad news in this world or doubters or scoffers or people who think we're drunk. We are so thankful that the ministry of the Spirit is present now for us. And we pray that we would be powerful witnesses of yours, happy in the Lord, confident that it's only Jesus all the days of our life. In his name we pray.